If you've got a clear vision, all of a sudden now you have a filter to differentiate opportunities from distractions. And a lot of times distractions show up masqueraded as opportunities. But unless you have a clear vision, there's no way to discern the difference. Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. I'm here with my friend, Mike Hyatt. Michael Hyatt is so many things. You have so many titles. I don't even know where to begin. I first met Michael Hyatt when he was chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers right here in Nashville. I was the CEO of Ingram. And he has since launched Michael Hyatt and Associates. And company. And company. And it is a huge, fast-growing, Inc. fast-growing company doing so many things to help people be more productive, be better leaders. Uh, He has so many uh, books out, best-selling books like Your Best Year Ever and Platform. And what other books do you have? Free to Focus. That was the last one. That was the last one. And really just prolific in podcasting, writing, speaking, all of those things. You're in all of those areas. You've won numerous awards. You have numerous hats and uh, also have a great family, five daughters. Megan works with you in the business, Michael Hyatt and Company, and your wife, Gail, who I've known for many years as well. And you've been married, I I said over 40 years, and now it's 42. 42 years. And so we may talk a little bit about how you look like you're 42 and you've been married 42 (laughs) years. So you're kind. And Gail too. So I don't know, I don't know how that all happened, but your new book, that is coming out. The Vision Driven Leader is fantastic Thank because you so much. it's a leadership book. Thank you. Thank you for coming out with this book. I needed well, this book right now. Honestly, I mean, it, it, I probably say this with every book, but I honestly think it's my most important book because I think vision is the foundation of everything. I learned this from Dr. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits, where he talked about habit number two, begin with the end in mind. And that's essentially what vision is. You know, as a leader, it presupposes that you're going somewhere and you're leading people to a destination. If you're not clear on that destination, you're basically just going for a walk. But if you're going to lead people, you've got to have a vision. Well, why is it, I should start with that, why is it, you mentioned in here your boss didn't have a vision and delegated it, I think, to you and the team. You know, come up with a vision, which I think is fabulous, right? He's following a different advice, you know, just delegate and just just do it. But but why is it that so many leaders struggle with yeah. with vision. I mean it's not it's not you you have a great blueprint in here and say step this do this which I love but it's not intuitive. You know it's come not. up with a vision and you mentioned uh, President Bush, you know go off to Camp David and develop a vision and he thought oh the vision thing. The vision thing. Right. Well, I think it cost him the election because he honestly didn't have a blueprint or a compelling vision of the future and his opponent did and he lost. So yeah, I think it's it's difficult because a lot of us think that you have to have a, sp- a special charisma, you know, or you've got to be clairvoyant, or you've got to be somebody like Steve Jobs. It's this iconic visionary leader. And if you're a mere mortal, you just can't do it. Plus, added to that, there's not really any books out there. There's like two books on Amazon that are about vision. It's not taught in business school. Most of us didn't serve under a visionary leader. So we're just a little bit, you know, hamstrung when it comes to creating vision. We don't know where to start. And the reason I wrote the book was to help mere mortals, people like us, you know, be able to create a vision for their organization so they could be that visionary leader. We think about vision, the other thing I think about often is when people say create a vision to the leader, it often seems that people want this grandiose 
you know, exit what you're doing and create this vision of something else. And yeah. it's not that, right? No. It, it, it's it's a very practical uh, application. And yet many of us struggle with it and, and struggle, you know, vision by product line, vision by market, vision for the whole company. Right. How do we get all of these things right? And so you balance that perfectly, I think, and create a blueprint. What about the person who's in an organization, not the CEO, mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to say to the CEO, oh, the CEO has no vision, you know, and if you don't like the plan and if it's not, you know, inspiring you and making you jump up and down, it, it must be them. What if you're in a, in a large organization, you were running a division of one and you, how do you create that, right? If you're, if you're in the organization, don't you also have to create your own vision? Absolutely. Not only can you, you must. So when I came to Thomas Nelson back in 1998, by the time we got to the year 2000, I was handed responsibility for one of our 14 divisions. What I didn't know at the time, but I learned a few weeks later as I got into the numbers, that division was dead last in revenue growth. In fact, we were going backwards. We had shrunk. We were dead last in profitability. We'd lost money the previous year. So I thought, yeah, of course, it was a blessing in disguise because I really couldn't screw it up, right? So we were 14 out of 14. It could only go up. So the CEO, Sam Moore at the time, came to me and he said, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around? So I pulled a number out of the air and I said, I think it's going to take about three years. And he said, that sounds reasonable. First thing I did, Skip, was I went and got a loan. I took a kind of a private retreat, took the numbers with me, the org charts, some other documents to kind of get a good sense of where we were currently. And then I began to write down what I wanted to see happen in three years. Now, this was sort of the prototype for what I now call the vision script. But I wrote this thing down. And I think a lot of people think that a vision's got to be a vision statement. You know, it's got to be this short, pithy, hyper clever, th- clever thing. We choose to go to the moon. Right? That's right. So you can like put it on a coffee mug, slap it on a t-shirt, but no, it's got to be more robust than that if it's going to really inform your decision making and guide your strategy. So I started writing down as a series of bullets, things like this. I said, we publish five New York Times bestsellers a year. Now I said it in the present tense as though it were al- already a current reality. And it was something that wasn't true then because we were publishing no bestsellers. Then I said, we published 48 books a year, which doesn't sound like, you know, a big deal, except that at the time we were doing 120 books a year. Mm. And I felt like that our, our focus was fractured, our resources were dispersed, and we weren't really giving books a chance to really be successful. So I cut the list. Then I said, I, I envision a future where all of our publishers or all of our uh, employees are maxing out their bonuses. Because I knew that if our employees all had a benefit, an incentive, that they would work harder and be more engaged. So I came back from that retreat with this rough draft of a vision script. Now, it wasn't Moses coming from Sinai, right? So I said to my uh, inner circle, I said, look, I've been thinking about the future. I've written some things down. I'm sure there's some things I've missed and haven't gotten quite right, and I need your help to get it right. So I began to engage them in a conversation where I began to transfer the ownership of the vision from me to them. Then we rolled it out to the next level down, and then ultimately all the employees in that division. Now, here's the cool thing. In 18 months, so a year and a half, half the time I had told the CEO, we went from number 14 to number one in revenue growth and in profit margin. And that division remained the most profitable division at Thomas Nelson for more than a decade. When I left the company in 2011, that was still the most profitable division in the company. But it all started with vision. And what I love about that, because I'm very practical, as you know, it's, it has to, I have to operationalize it. I love that about you. Right? I have to make it happen. And it wasn't this 
just the, you know, we think of this dream, right? Yeah. We think of it's of, you know, we're going, oh, we're not going to be in publishing anymore. My vision is to, you know, do something else. And it's not that. It's, no. it's here's what we're going to do. But then you put metrics, you put, you know, goals that you could drive to and then galvanize the team about. So, so vision isn't necessarily only just stopping with this, you know, we're going to digitize the world's information or kind no, of those right. statements. It's really a practical, and you, you have a vision script. I do. And how do people engage and get a vision script? Okay, so so the first thing is, you know, to define a, a vision, it's a clear, inspiring, practical, attractive picture of your organization's future. So it's got to meet those criteria. It's going to take the form of a vision script, so a three to five page document of a future state, a superior state to what you have now. And it's going to be stated in the present tense. And it's going to be inspiring to you first, because honestly, if you can't buy it, you, you can't, can't sell, sell it. it. Right? So true. So you got to buy it. And you have a future. whole chapter on that. I have a whole chapter Which on is that. really good. So the vision script is going to be this document that's going to cover four crucial areas. So first of all, the future of your team. Now, why do I start with team? The team is everything. Your team and your corporate culture. I've often said that culture is the unseen force that drives operating results. And a lot of reasons that leaders can't seem to get traction or get momentum is because they're fighting a culture that seems invisible to them. It's just something they keep bouncing up against and, and falling away from. But you can shape the culture. And you've got to envision a different reality in your culture and a different kind of teammate, perhaps, a different kind of team. But so there's the future of your team, the future of your product, particularly what is the transformation that our products create in the lives of our customers and our clients? And then the marketing. I like that. That's you, clear. That, that's, that's important, that's too. That's really good. Because it's not the widget you're selling. It's usually not the service that you're enrolling people in, but there's a transformation or a feeling that people get when they use your widget or your service. And you, if you can get to the essence of that in your vision, that helps. Then your marketing. How do you go to market? How do you reach your market? And then finally, what's the impact? You know, and all the objective, measurable kinds of things, whether it's, you know, your revenues or your profitability or your web visits or your customer base or whatever it is. Well, that's great. You have coached thousands, hundreds of thousands now, virtually uh, leaders. You've been in and out of cultures yourself. You've consulted and seen other cultures. You've been on company boards. You've been on, you know, you've had a great window into a lot of different mm -hmm. organizations. What are some of the characteristics when you go into a company and you go, this is a vision culture. I see it. The leaders inspiring and over here, not so much. You yeah. know, this is, this is the opposite of that uh, vision deficient, I would think right. you call it. I mean, when you first get exposed, what, what are the cues? I mean, you pick up on cues really fast and you go, this is it or it's not. I'm looking for the language of possibility. So in other words, if I sense that there's cynicism, like new ideas are shot down quickly, you know, oh, we tried that before, you know, or that won't work here, or you don't understand our industry. That's not the language of possibility. That's the language where, you know, people are going to shut down new ideas. They're not being futuristic and they're not, they're not going to be visionary. And I'm not saying that ideas shouldn't be subjected to scrutiny. They absolutely should be. But there's a time for that. And I think for visionary leaders, they're able to create an environment where it's safe to share ideas about the future and just to imagine a different future without feeling like you're going to be reproved or it's going to be shot down. There's going to be time for that in the future. But initially, you've got to create an environment because dreams are very fragile things. Mm -hmm. you know. And when people first begin to imagine them, 
they don't think it all the way through and they don't need to think it all the way through. They eventually have to think it all the way through. But at the beginning, you got to imagine a future state that's better than the present, that's bigger than the present. And you got to allow people the, the flexibility to do that, even if it's not you, somebody on your team. Dream, don't destroy. And that's it. Is that something that happens too early then that, that most companies just destroy it before it really gets off the ground? Well, here's what I think happens in a lot of companies. We reward people for being smart. And so you get in a room, and I, I used to see this with consultants that were brought in from the outside. So they feel like their job, and leaders feel this way too, I got to find the holes in this. You know, I'm going to notice what's wrong instead of noticing what's right. The problem is when you do that as a leader, you shut down dialogue and, and you keep people from dreaming. It's so true. And yet on the opposite side, sometimes you don't want people launching 17 things if, That's right. if, if you're not focused. So you know, free to focus at the same time, you know, this vision and how do you align the vision, but stay focused on it and still dream. And that's a constant balancing act. It is. And this is where the vision is so critical. You know, everybody talks about like, if you go on Amazon, you'll find uh, dozens, probably hundreds of books on execution. You'll find a lot of books on focus or on alignment, but both of those are impossible unless you have a vision. If you've got a clear vision, all of a sudden now you have a filter to differentiate opportunities from distractions. And a lot of times distractions show up masqueraded as opportunities. But unless you have a clear vision, there's no way to discern the difference. And so I, I started a company back in the 80s, a publishing company that didn't do so well. It did initially. We had a New York Times bestseller with Oral Hershiser, uh, the famous baseball pitcher. And that book was on the New York Times list for like four months. And it generated a lot of cash and it brought to us a ton of opportunity. So we started out publishing adult trade books. You know what that means yes. from being in the yeah. industry. But somebody brought to us a children's book, and we said, sure, why not? And somebody else brought us a reference book and a gift book and, a, and then a big Bible project. And so before long, our, our focus was fractured. Our resources were distributed across all these different product lines, and we failed, not because of a lack of opportunity. We literally went bankrupt, not because of a lack of opportunity, but because we had too much opportunity without a vision to guide us. So mm. once you have the vision, you can align your resources, you can focus your efforts, and you can drive execution. But if you focus on execution without a vision, what you get is a lot of busy work, a lot of fake work, a lot of sideways energy. I love how you walk us through that period in your life and in your career. Hmm. I think a lot of people will think of Michael Hyatt and they think everything he touches just is <laughs> platinum, right? Everything's perfect, everything works. You know, he, he rockets to CEO and his division, of course it stayed number one for 55 years and all of these things, right? And yet you're vulnerable and you share like, mm, this is what you. didn't work. And I think that's, that's powerful. I mean, we all learn lessons through failure, lessons through struggle. What I'm curious about for you in reading that story, because I don't know this, and we've, we've talked about that before, is how much was it time that gave you the perspective to kind of learn those lessons? Or did you know those lessons as they were going? Because that's many years ago yeah. now. Did no, you, it, was, it was reflecting back on it. I, I would say that somebody who's kind of been an achiever all my life, that I've never put, made a reflection at a high priority until about 10 years ago. So if something didn't work, I just scurried on to the next thing and tried to get something to work. And, and frankly, I think a lot of my success is not because I've been so smart or intuitive or visionary. I'm kind of a hacker. You know, I just like kind of keep hacking until I get something that works. And my success is the stuff that's the iceberg above the water, but there's a whole big thing of stuff that didn't work, you know, that's, that's under the water. What was the question you asked? Time and perspective. Oh, yeah, time and perspective. Yeah. Uh, looking back at that, I mean, b because I, I often wonder as leaders, do we 
Do we see it in the moment, especially somebody like you, you're a high achiever, so you're onto the next thing and you're, you're trying to drive success. So, so about- Because it's ten, one of the most powerful points in this book. Because yeah, it's so you. reflective and it, it takes people into a side of you that is not something that everyone sees. This was a real struggle. And you know, I, I didn't like it. Like it must've been very painful. It was very painful. And I can tell you when that business failed, couple things happened. Uh, initially, we wanted to sue the distributor because we thought it was the distributor's fault because they weren't delivering the sales that they had told us they were going to deliver, and we had given over everything to them. And uh, we went to an attorney, and the attorney said to us, he said, I want you to think about this over the weekend because I've seen this movie before, and here's how it's going to go. For the next three years, you're going to be in and out of court. You're going to be giving depositions. Every decision you've ever made is going to be challenged. And in the end, even if you win, it's going to be less than you think you deserve and you're going to be angry and bitter, and you will have wasted three years of your life. If you want to do that, you know, I'm happy to take, uh, take on the case. counsel. It was. But he said, I want you to think about it over the weekend. And my business partner and I looked at each other, and, you said, and we said, and this was an incredible moment, we said, you know what? This is really our fault. You That's know, powerful. Nobody held a gun to our head. We got into this relationship with the distributor. We did not do our due diligence. We did not follow up. It was our leadership that created this problem. Everything changed at that point. So that was a huge inflection point for me. Um, I think when I started to get reflective was when my wife, Gail, challenged me. Right after I'd left Thomas Nelson, we'd sold the company to HarperCollins. I left. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. But Gail said to me, she said, I, I really want to encourage you to start journaling. And I said, oh, I've tried to do that before. And I'm just not a journaling kind of guy. I'm a doing kind of guy. She said, I, I just want you to do it as an experiment. So she like suckered me into this. She said, I just want you to try this for the next 21 days. And if after 21 days, you don't want to journal anymore, that's fine. And so I started journaling and I have journaled not every day, but almost every day since that time. I've got hundreds and hundreds of journal entries. But one of the questions I ask every day is, what did I learn yesterday? And sometimes it's nothing, but it gives me a chance to reflect on what happened so I can process it and so that it turns into wisdom and not as just something that's just kind of another event that slips into my distant memory. Coming soon, the secret journals of Michael Hyatt <laughs> <laughs> released to the world. They're uh, password protected. I don't even know the password. <laughs> yeah, good one, good one, sure. You're talking about vision. You're setting the vision. You're creating a vision. You talk about struggling with not having a vision and what ensues. I'm curious about selling the vision. We've referenced it, right? And you talk about selling the vision across, down, even outside. Right. What are some of the pitfalls in selling the vision? Because some people don't think about that. They just, here's the, if, if they develop a vision, which is a small number, yeah. then they roll it out. That selling part, some, you know, I could see that being a drop ball. And you spend Definitely. some time on that. Well, I, I would say, first of all, you got to realize that everybody in the world is tuned to the world's most popular radio station, which is WIIFM. What's in it for me? Okay. And so to sell anything, you've got to help the other person see what's in it for them. If you, in this case, achieve your vision. You know, I learned this from Don Miller in his book, Story Brand, and uh, in the seminar that he does, very similar to that, that you can't be the hero of the story. You got to make the person you're trying to sell the hero. So what does this person get, whether it's an investor or a banker, or it's the employees that are working for you, or it's your boss? How do they get what they want by helping you accomplish your vision? So you got to start with the right frame of mind. The other thing too, and we kind of said this earlier, but you got to buy into the vision. If you're not sold- It's not happening. It's not happening. You got to see it with clarity and you've flat got to want it. And this is hard for leaders because a lot of leaders don't know what they want. 
you know? And so to get clear on what you want, I've got a whole chapter on this, to get clear on what you want is the essence of selling it to somebody else. And we've all had that situation where we've been with an enthusiastic salesman who was clear about the vision and we bought into it. Maybe we weren't even planning to buy it. Don't that even thing. know why. Yeah. You know, why did like, I get this? I, I bought it because- My house is full of that stuff, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, I, so I think you gotta be sold and you gotta get into the shoes of the person you're trying to sell. I don't care who it is, up, down, sideways, whatever, and sell it from that perspective. You champion teams, you champion working with teams, you champion diversity of thought and people who are, you know, can challenge and do all of these things. And yet sometimes there's a detractor that no matter what happens, they are just, you know, coming at you, you know. And so how as a leader, when are times when you embrace that and Mm -hmm. you're learning from that and you're using some of that negativity or criticism as a positive when do you shut them down? When do you coach them and pull them aside saying you're killing the dream? Yeah. You know, how, how do you orchestrate that? You know, because sometimes people are just constantly, you know, you just know as soon as I right. say this, this person's going to. Attack <laughs> so how do you deal with that? Well, I think, I think first of all, you know, one value of a vision is not only a filter for opportunities, but it's a filter for employees, right? So when you're trying to attract the right people, you want a vision that attracts the right people and repels the wrong people. So that's at a fundamental level. But that doesn't mean you can't have people in your organization that disagree with you. I think one of the first and foremost jobs of a leader is to create a culture that's safe for dissent. Create a culture safe for dissent. Safe for dissent. That's good. Because if you create uh, a culture that's not safe for dissent, people are only going to tell you what you want to hear, and you're going to go off the cliff, and you're not going to know it until you hit the bottom. Love that. So I um, always say safe, safe for dissent. But you just have to make a good dissenting case. You know, I'm a lawyer, right? So oh, that's right. if you're going to dissent, I want you to be really good at it. I'm well, not going to pick you apart for dissenting, but no, if it's I agree. not thoughtful. And, and, and the timing's everything. Timing is everything. You and I have a mutual friend that uh, has done some work for both of us that was pretty embedded in my organization that tended to be pretty negative. He would be the guy that whenever a dream was shared, he would be the first guy to see the holes in it the first way that things could go wrong, and he used his imagination to imagine the worst case scenario. So my daughter got pretty frustrated and said, we want to move that guy out of the organization. And I said, no. I said, honestly, that guy is going to help us because he's seen things that you and I don't see. Right. It's all about timing. So I went to said person and I said, look, I do not want to throttle what you see. I want you to be fully expressed and give voice to those things that you see but it's all about timing. So when you're in a meeting, I want you to let it run, let people dream, open it up to possibility, and then I promise I will make time for you to raise all your objections because we need to fold those in to what we're trying to do if we're gonna have a comprehensive vision and if we're gonna really have a strategy that works. That's really good. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. And when to listen to those voices and when not to, it's such a judgment call. And I've gotten it spectacularly wrong. I have to. Or right. So, um, And I think you got to set it up like when you start a meeting, like if you're having a meeting where you're doing some brainstorming or dreaming about the future, I I think it doesn't hurt to remind people, you know, this is a brainstorming meeting. Uh, This is not the time to poke holes. This is not the time to demonstrate to your colleagues how smart you are by seeing the obvious flaws. Yes, there are going to be flaws. There are going to be problems here that need to be addressed at some point in the future, but this is not the meeting for this. So this is the meeting where we're going to put on the hat of possibility and dream. I think everybody listening to this can appreciate this conversation. And I just think what's, uh, what's so interesting about it is that we've had these conversations on topics for many, many years uh, yes. over lunch. And 
I just am fortunate because I'm the CEO at the time of Ingram, so we're selling billions of dollars of books, and to strike a lucky friendship and have you as counsel. So everybody gets you as an online mentor. Hundreds of thousands of people have tuned in. But I personally was getting you helping me with publishing and you know, you taught me social media. You, for, for some reason, I didn't even know what Twitter was, but your Twitter uh, feed was coming up on my screen. I don't know how. Only you. I don't know how that Russian was. Russian hackers. <laughs> Russian hackers. <laughs> so to have your personal mentorship and advice and counsel through my career has been uh, incredibly invaluable, and especially the challenge. You're always challenging us to think differently, mm. to think about social media, to think about publishing differently, or business, people. So uh, I love this conversation because it's just letting people in on the fact uh, that everybody that signs up for your courses can partake in that. So it's really great. Well, I feel the same way about you. Right. So I, I thought I was getting mentored by you. So I, I, I don't know about that because uh, I, I'm the one taking more notes away for, for sure. But I, I, I have a, um, and you have had none of these questions and you have no idea what I'm going to ask, but I have a lightning round uh, okay. of questions. Great. And these are just quick answers on random topics. I, uh, and they're easy. They're so easy. Okay. So I just want to get your, your quick answer. I'm sure like you'll just you'll just spout off an answer. Secret to a 40 plus year marriage is assuming positive intent. Oh, that's good. I learned that from my wife because she's the kind of person and and this is actually a line from Bob Golf, but she says whenever you observe somebody that has bizarre behavior or maybe they're negative or something she said, what's the least creepy explanation for that? He's creepy. <laughs> and she always and she always assumes positive intent. Like, well, maybe they got out of bed on the wrong side, you know, or or maybe the dog just bit them or something. But she's really had that attitude towards me and towards our children. And it's infectious. It's infectious. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Biggest mistake hiring managers made. See, these are random. Biggest mistake hiring managers uh, made. Trying to find a clone. Mm, that's good. You don't need somebody that's a clone. You need somebody that's a compliment. You don't need more people like you. You need people less like you and more of a compliment to you. I hired one person and he said he wanted a t-shirt that said, uh, I'm Skip's opposite for that reason. Because I'm like, <laughs> Perfect. I, want, I want the total opposite of me. Help me with my errors. How about this? Advice to your younger self. You go back through a time machine. What would you say? Yeah, I would say uh, you're not as smart as you think you are, but you have way more potential than you can imagine. Mm, good. Most people don't realize leadership uh, starts by leading yourself. Self-leadership. If you can't lead yourself, you don't have the right to lead anybody else. Love that. Biggest misconception about the CEO role? That it's lonely at the top. It's not. John Maxwell told me when I became the CEO of Thomas Nelson, and I had the privilege of publishing him for over a decade, he said to me, you hear that CEOs, that it's lonely at the top? He said, let me tell you something. That's a choice. If you want it to be lonely, you can make it lonely, but it doesn't have to be. And I thought that was such good advice. That's good. How about your other world? So biggest surprise in launching this whole uh, venture of Michael Hyatt and company. <laughs> okay, so this this is kind of a telling moment, but I, you know, I, I guess I thought it would be easier than it has been. You know, I thought, well, gosh, I'm going to leverage everything that I've learned and it, how hard could it be, right? But the truth is, it's always a different context. It's a different set of challenges. You have to go through a certain number, a certain quota of mistakes until you get to the right thing. So there's been all the usual challenges. And again, from the outside, people wouldn't see that. They yeah. think it's just a spectacular rocket that you well, set we've, off. We've had some spectacular failures, some things that didn't work. 
Just one real quick. But you keep going. and that's well, We just keep going. That's the thing. We don't stop. We're like the Energizer Bunny. So we launched this, uh, this course called Best Year Ever, and it was phenomenally successful. We've had like 50,000 people go through it. And we thought, we need to create a leader's edition because leaders will love to take their teams through goal setting. So we shot the videos. I shot the whole course videos. We created a beautiful workbook, landing page. We rolled out the launch. And in 24 hours, first 24 hours, we got one sale. I said, something's broken on the website. There's no way that we're going to get one sale. I mean, this is like right, right down the alley on the Somebody market. will click it by mistake. <laughs> I know, exactly, by mistake. But that was the truth. There was wow. like zero market for it. But the good thing about it was, what we discovered was that that created our first live event, which was the best year ever live event. Which what is we, huge. Which, which is, we found that people wanted to take their teams through it, but they wanted me to teach it. They wanted to bring their teams to that event, which is what they did. Which is surprising. Random question. The best planner available on the market today is? Well, without question, the full focus planner. It's really good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, people, people really gravitated. Did that surprise you? It did. I, it was a big risk because by the time we were considering publishing this book, we were in the digital information space, which is a phenomenal business model. You know, no inventory, no author advances, no accounts receivable. And so I was like, oh, do we really want to get it back into the publishing business again? And who knows if there's going to be a market for this thing? Because what it really does is it enables people to take what I teach in uh, your best year ever and free to focus. So goal setting or goal achievement and productivity and put it together in sort of a daily action plan. And we published it and all it did was take off. And that is one that really surprised me is as how well it did. Yeah. yeah. And still does. Still right? does. Pe people really like it. It's like 55% of our business. Yeah. Today. In fact, I read one book and he's talking about using it in the book. So I just finished that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's awesome. a big thing. Uh, last one, morning productivity hack. Yeah. Well, first of all, get yourself an intentional morning ritual. So everybody has a morning ritual. The only question is, is it designed on purpose or is it just sort of happened over the years? And one of my fundamental beliefs in life is that if you don't design the future, you're going to drift to a destination you wouldn't have chosen. And if you think to yourself, how can I set myself up for a big win today? And I really learned this from watching the world of professional sports, where you know nobody ever showed up at the Super Bowl without being really intentional about the 24 hours before, before that happened. Right. You know they're going to manage their mental state. They're going to manage their energy. They're going to look carefully at their diet and all that. So what are the things that I can do first thing in the morning that are proactive and intentional? that'll set me up to win the day. I'm very intentional about that. I get up at 4.45 in the morning and I'm in a season of life where I can have a longer morning ritual than most people. Sleep into 4.46? I, sometimes I get crazy <laughs> like that. But yeah, so I have several things. You know, I, I read the Bible first thing, I pray, I journal, I go to the gym and while I'm at the gym, I'm listening to books, come home, eat breakfast with my wife and then I'm off to the day, but that sets me up. That's great. Well, uh, this book, The Vision Driven Leader, I predict it's gonna be a big one. It's easy for me to predict that. Because all your books are. Well, it's, it's easy. yeah, but, you're, but I, I really trust you. I mean, when you told no, me you were excited about it, I, I got me I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this one because whole teams in organizations need this. Mm. And it's not just about that. You know, I, I just want people to be cautioned and not realize it's not just the CEO to have a vision, right? That's it right. It is the entire organization. Everyone needs a vision. And we need it, but we don't always know how to start. You know, That's and right. it's it's you know it feels very much like you know start with a moonshot and John F. Kennedy, you know, doing that, and it feels this big. It yeah. feels so. How do I make that happen? I'm not him. I can't. But you 
as you do with all your books, very practical step. You know, here's how to make it happen. Here's this. So uh, where can people go to learn more about this resource and other resources? Obviously, michaelhyatt.com, which is your main uh, right. flagship site, takes you everywhere, anywhere else they can go. Well, first of all, they can buy the book from, you know, better booksellers everywhere, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local retailer. But save the receipt. Come back to visiondrivenleader.com slash skip. That's a landing page. have a skip. Page. Okay, we have a landing good. page just yes. for your listeners. Oh, wonderful. And we have a bunch of bonuses on there. So until April the 4th, when they buy the book and turn in their receipt, they can get free the audible copy of me reading this book. Oh, you did it. I, I love did. that. I like when the, I like when the author does that. I always that. do that. It's, it's kind of a pain. I did I, it on I mine. It. It, it, I like it. Yeah, it's worth doing. So then you can also get uh, the ebook of my last book, Free to Focus. Uh, several videos that, that walk you through the process of creating the vision, but we have a very cool online tool called the Vision Scripter Tool. This will take you by the hand and walk you through the process of writing your first draft of the vision. If you do nothing but do that, you'll get 85 to 90% of the way done in terms of your draft, and that's enough to take back to your team and begin to refine it. I really like that. That's all free, that's just for good. buying the book. That's good. That's that's. Uh... That's compelling. That's reason right there to get cool. it. But it's, it's a great book. And I realized the last time I actually did an official interview with you was so many years ago, almost 10, I think. It's uh, hard to maybe believe. Maybe eight. I don't yeah. know. It was with Platform. And uh, the last interview I did with you, though, was on leadership. And so you've come full circle. We're back on leadership. This book fits all of your other mm. work as well to make it productive. Um, but you're right. There's not a lot of books on how to create a vision and what that means. And there's, there's no practical books that no. do it. So thank you for uh, talking with us and the Vision Driven Leader. I hope everybody gets it and gets all those bonuses too. How long will those bonuses be available? Uh, they're available till April the 4th. If you're listening to this uh, and it's after April the 4th, 2020, then there will be other bonuses available, but the full suite of them is up until April the 4th. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate Skip. it. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher.